Well, we are uh, going to finish a series today. I'm just going to go through a few things very briefly. And uh, I would like to do something a little bit different today as we, as we finish up today. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter number 22nd. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to finish a series today called Relationships Last a Lifetime. And we're seeing that this morning, aren't we? Relationships last a lifetime. Matthew chapter 22. Someone came to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? If you look back at the Ten Commandments of Moses that he gave when he went up to Mount Sinai and came back and gave the Ten Commandments, and they're all great commandments, we should follow them all, but this person wanted to know what the greatest of those was, and he didn't want to know out of a sincere heart. Come on, he was trying to trick Jesus is what he was doing, trying to get him to, 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 to be in a trick bag, like I call it. But Jesus had uh, his own trick back. <laughs> and so in verse 37, Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All your heart. How much of your soul? And with all of your mind. He said, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus here in these verses of scripture, in this short passage where he was giving this man what the man thought he wanted, he was really laying a foundation for relationships. He laid the foundation for relationships. And it, uh, we know that in, I believe it's in Ecclesiastes where Solomon told us that a threefold cord is not easily broken. Well, Jesus gives us that threefold cord right here. He said, you have to love God. You have to love yourself because if you're going to love others as yourself, you must love yourself. And when he said you must love yourself, I'm not talking about that flesh man, the flesh nature. But what I'm talking about is that renewed, rejuvenated person when you gave your life to the Lord. If any man is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become New, and he said, love others as you love yourself. Three points there. Now, we know through this series that our relationship with the Lord must be first. It is first and foremost. If that relationship is not right, none of our other relationships will quite be on task. In fact, if that relationship is not right, our relationship with ourself won't be right. Because we won't see ourselves the way God sees us. We see ourselves the way the mirror sees us. And for some of us, that's not a great picture sometimes, especially early in the morning. But, you know, but we want to see ourselves the way God sees us. That's the way he wants us to see ourselves. And the only way to do that is to have a right relationship with him. Now, here's my definition of relationships. We've talked about this. Relationships are what? They're multifaceted connections between all people of all ages in all places for all of life. And they bring fulfillment and enhance our destiny, helping us live a full and satisfying life. If you want to live a full life, if you want to live a satisfying life, you're going to have to have relationships. You can, it is impossible to live a full and satisfying life if you're on an island, if you build a wall, if you shut everyone else out 
Your life will never be full and it will never be satisfied. And the reason for that is because God created us that way. He made you to be in connection with others. Your family, your parents, your children, spouses, come on, best friends, at school, at work. He made us to have relationship with others. And if we try to fill that void with other things, with things, with money, with material possessions, come on, even with relationships that are inappropriate, when we try to fill that void with those things, well, we're just simply lacking. And that's not what God would want us to do. And so relationships have to be what for us? They have to be your highest goal. This is what I hope for you. They have to be your greatest aim, right? Retirement, being rich, having whatever cannot be your greatest aim. Why? Because God talks to us in kingdom language and he says, listen, if you seek first the kingdom of God and God is saying in my righteousness, all of these other things will be added onto you. And so that means that riches and things can't be our first and foremost goal. But relationships have to be our highest aim because Jesus, when, was, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment, that's how he responded. He responded with relationships. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and you must love others even as you love yourself. Relationships. And so relationships should be your highest thing, they should be your first priority, your deepest aspiration. What goal is greater than having right relationships? They have to be your strongest ambition, your constant focus, and your passionate intention. Listen, how many know that relationships take work? We've talked about this. And I'm not just talking about a marriage relationship. I mean best friends take work. Come on, a mother and a son, it takes work over the long haul for that relationship to be cultivated because relationships they're needed for you to fulfill your destiny but they also can offend come on there can be disappointment why because we are still people though we are renewed and rejuvenated our spirit is we still live in this flesh that's why Paul said in Romans who will deliver me from this body of death come on one day we will be transformed but for now, we're still trapped in this flesh. And so we have to deal with that. We have to deal with it. What are some vital relationships in your life? Well, first of all, your relationship to God, it's a vital relationship. Has to be there. Listen, another vital relationship, and a lot of people don't think about this, but your relationship to yourself is absolutely vital. How you see yourself can set your destiny's course. I mean, if you're self-abasing, if you never think I'll never be able to do it because that's what my parents told me, so my husband, my wife always says, my friends, I I'll just never be anybody, I can't do it, I always fail, guess what? Then you'll never be anybody, you can't do it, and you'll always fail because that's the way you're headed. That's the way you're going. You know, you can't not drive a car one way going north and expect to end up somewhere south. And this is the way it is with us. Very often we speak one thing, we think one thing. Our views are one thing about ourselves. 
but we expect to end up somewhere else. It's crazy. So our relationship to ourselves is important. Our relationship to others. Our relationship to our spouse if you're married. Our relationship to intentional people. Last time we talked about successful, intentional relationships. In other words, they take work. And today I'm just going to touch on something. We, we need to talk about our relationship to our church. Our relationship to our church. Why should we love our church? Well, number one, Jesus loved his church. Jesus gave his life to redeem, to establish, and to build the church. In Ephesians 5.25, he compares it to the marriage relationship. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. But he didn't stop there. If he would have put a period right there, it would have been great. He said, wow, Jesus really loved the church. But it says, and he gave himself for her that he might, what, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. He gave himself for her, loving Jesus and loving his church. Loving Jesus begins with a living relationship to Jesus by receiving him in your life, resulting in a new spiritual life that connects you to Christ's church. Resulting in a spiritual life, it not only connects you to his church, but it immerses you right in there. Now you are part of that DNA. Now that's you. Why? Because now you have become a new creature. There is something that is created that was never there before. God breathes the breath of life into you when you accept him and he creates something brand new. It's there. And so a great relationship to your church is vital. It's growing. It's having a heart full of passion, excitement, and faith for the future. It's a love motivated to build the house to engage in the vision and to please Jesus, who is the head of his church. Now, I was, I was thinking about this as I was writing some of these things down and making some notes. And I thought, you know, I've been around church a long time, as some of you have, and maybe some of you haven't been around church uh, for very long. And I thought about how people come and go in church. And I thought about there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes you just get offended. You, know, you just get offended. And then what happens is we treat it like we treat anything else, kind of like our job. You know, if I'm on my job and I'm never appreciated, you know, I'm all the one, I'm always the one who's there early, you know, and I kind of work through lunch sometimes, and then all of a sudden I stay late. But this other person, they just kind of come in when they want to, right, and they take a long lunch, they slip out early sometimes, and they're not really getting their work done, and I'm having to do their work for them, but then at the end of the year, for one thing that they did, maybe they get recognized, and nobody recognizes me, and therefore now I'm offended because of all of this work I did. Nobody saw that, nobody recognized that, so I decide to change jobs. I say, well, I'm going to leave that job because nobody recognizes me. And sometimes that's how we treat church. You know, I do all these things. I get offended. So-and-so said this thing to me or whatever. And, uh, you know, I got hurt in church, whether it was a pastor or another member, whatever it was. And, and then, so forget it. You know, church uh, doesn't, it's not for me. Church is not for me. And then so they, you, they, you, you group yourself into a certain type of person. You know, there are those who uh, are, are keep church at a distance. I'll go maybe on Easter and I'll go on Christmas 
and but that's about it just because I feel like I kind of want to go to church but really it's not part of my life I'm keeping it at a distance or you may be a person that comes every once in a while maybe you come you know once a month because I was hurt so I feel like I, I do love the Lord you know, and I do know that there is a God and God is real and I probably should go to church. Uh, so but I'll go every once in a while this way. My heart's not on my sleeve and no one can really hurt me because I'm not really getting too close to those people at church. Or maybe you're a person who just loves church, you know, and you're at church all the time. But there are those of us who have been offended. And I, if there's anyone here like that, I want to say to you, I, I know I can't represent the whole church, but on behalf of the church, I am sorry, and we are sorry. We, we, we repent, and we pray that you do not stay offended at church. And we would say, charge it to our head and not our heart as a church. We apologize to all those who have been offended. And listen, Jesus would never offend you. And so as long as Jesus is still the head of the church... You cannot hold it against the church, even though some people in the church may have failed. Even though people in the church have failed. Well, I hate to tell you this. Actually, I don't hate to tell it to you, but I have to tell you this. It probably won't be the last time someone fails you. The church is made up of imperfect people. But now I do want to tell you this, too. You're an imperfect person yourself, and I think you may have failed some people sometimes. And so, you know, just, just like that, people fail you and you fail them. Don't hold it against the church because the church is about Jesus Christ. The church is not about rules, laws, and regulations. It's not just about principles, okay? It's not about programs, all right? It's not just about all of those things. The church is about people and one in, in, in particular, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He reigns above all. He, without him, there is no church. It's not an organization. You know, it's not like it goes on. Now, the church will go on without me. The church will go on without you. But the church will not go on without Jesus. Not because he controls everything, but because it is him. He is the church. And so as long as Jesus hasn't done you wrong, then don't hold it against the church. But we need to begin to develop a church that people love, that show the love of Christ. Here's the church that I love, the church that I see. Just some things I jotted down. A church I love is filled with Jesus' presence as people gather, a real and powerful presence where Jesus is unashamedly exalted because he is the church. How can we come to church and not talk about Jesus? Well, I'm a little, I won't talk about him that much because I don't want to offend people. Well, I'm sorry, you cannot have church and not talk about Jesus. He is the church. Passionate prayer, worship, and joy. See, Psalms 26, 8 says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Also, the church I love is made of all people, connecting and loving in genuine community, sharing life and resources, helping one another in a real and tangible way. In other words, the church is just not talk. The church I love is not just a church that talks. It's not just a church that has some services on Sunday. Maybe it has some, some good music or maybe there's a good preacher that day or maybe, you know, we did some things or whatever and it was just a great service. That's not what church is all about. To me, the church is not just talk. The church is real 
people in action, loving each other in a tangible way. That's what it is. The church I love is an authentic network of people thinking and acting as God intended. You know, Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. And I only say what I hear my father say. That's the church that I love. The church I love actually restores people's lives to health and wholeness and positions people to live in harmony with Christ's purpose for them. See, the church doesn't say, I'm going to go on in spite of people. Though, I, you know, I would, wouldn't mind that sometimes, you know. Sometimes I've said, you know, Dad, the church would be okay if it wasn't for all the people. <laughs> all of us offending each other. <laughs> right? But unfortunately, that's what, well, fortunately, that's what the church is. The church is the people. The church is not the organization. It's about people. If there's no people, there is no church. So we have to deal with each other. And I'm not, when I say deal with each other, I'm not talking about we have to put up with each other. We have, to, we have to, listen, we have to make each other better. Come on. We have to love each other. We're going to have to forgive each other. Come on. We're going to have to encourage each other. We're going to have to do that. It's about relationship. Come on. The church that we love sees the church as an eternal purpose manifested in time. In other words, the church is here for the long haul. That's what I'm talking about. Church is not here today and gone tomorrow. And then finally, the church we love is made of a lifetime of love relationships. A lifetime of love relationships between people of all ages and all backgrounds. Now, here's seven reasons why you should love your church. First of all, your church loves God with a passion and it loves God with heart. I'm talking about seven reasons why you here today should love your church. Because you may not think this all the time, but it is the truth. Your church loves God with passion and heart. Now, remember, remember when I was, I was talking a little bit about how we are Christians, and that is who we are. And though sometimes we don't act like Christians, sometimes you, maybe if you're not, you haven't given your life to the Lord, you look at other people who say they're Christians, and it seems like they don't act like Christians sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, we are who we are. If you've given your life to the Lord, then that's who you are. We just don't always act like it. So even as you look at not just this church, but as you look at churches, and they don't always act like they should, they still love God with passion and heart. If they're teachable, if we can be corrected by the Lord, then we love God. It doesn't mean that we won't ever fail or won't ever stumble. We do sometimes. Come on. Your church creates an atmosphere where Jesus' presence touch, touches lives. We have to and must leave room for Jesus to move in his church. What if we just came every Sunday, we had our own agenda, you know, we're going to get up, we're going to sing a few songs, we're going to do a greeting, we're going to have an offering, we're going to do some announcements, uh, somebody's going to give a little word, maybe we'll pray at the end and we go home, and that's our agenda, and nothing can keep us from our agenda. That's it. You know, there's going to come a Sunday where God wants to move maybe in a different way, he's going to be trying to talk, but he can't get a word in edgewise, because we have our own agenda. We have the way we think church should be done, and we're going to do it that way. And there are those of us sometimes, come on now, who are traditional. And when we get out of that tradition, 
To us it seems sacrilegious, but actually God is, maybe he's moving in a different way. Come on, same core principles. I'm talking about worship, prayer, the word of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. All of those are the same, but the way he manifests himself may be different sometimes. And we cannot hang on to the tradition of the way things are done. We must hang on to the principles of what God does and who he is. That's what we must hang on to. You see, your church honors the word of God all the time, everywhere. Your church genuinely cares for and loves all people. It's the reasons why you should love your church. Your church reaches out to the community in meaningful ways. Your church loves your children and youth with a fervent love. Now, I'll just a side note here. Sometimes we say, well, you know, I really can't tell because, you know, sometimes this doesn't happen or that doesn't happen. Here's the thing about it. The church is not the pastor. The church is not the elder or the elders. The church is not the youth pastor. The church is all of us. It's all of us together. And so if if we have some ways things can be done, if there's ways that we, if there's some things that we don't like the way they're done, guess what God is saying to you? Step up. Come on. Step on up. You can do it. Get on into position. Find a way to serve. I was telling my kids the other day, we were, we were going yesterday, they're involved in a leadership class on Saturday mornings, and so I was, I was taking Nia and Michael to this leadership class, and we began to talk about the world, and I was telling them, I said, you know, you're going to be a generation that just changes the world. You know, you're going to change the world, you really are. And I said, here's the thing about it, though. You have to be the change that you want to see. You can't just sit around and say, this world is crazy. Politics are crazy. The president's crazy. The Congress is crazy. And the way the world is doing things are crazy. And the, you know, the, the Middle East is crazy. And the people in Korea are crazy and all of that. Well, all of that may be true. And you sit back and say, I just wish it would change. I wish our school would change. I was talking to somebody at the office uh, last week, and they were talking about the school system you know, up in Indianapolis and up in Avon, and they were talking about how, uh, you know, the education system is just terrible, and, uh, you know, we, we, it's just terrible, and I hate the way that they do things and how they teach the kids and all that. Oh, well, I guess there's nothing I can do. I said, there's something you can do about it. There's plenty of things you can do. You can vote. Listen, you can teach your kids at home, right, the right principles and the right things. Come on now. Come on, parents. Don't leave it up to just the school system. You can do those things. You can talk to the, you can write letters. You can, there's things you can do. You must be part of the change that you want to see. And so I would say that also to the church. You want to see the church change to be how Jesus wants it to be? You must be part of that change. We all can't just sit back and say, hey, somebody needs to do something. I don't know what the pastor's doing, but he needs to do something different. Your church loves your children. Your church reaches many nations with the gospel. We really do. So loving your church is a decision and an ongoing heart relationship of that deepening love. We love the church. Why? Because it belongs to Jesus. And because what he loves, we love. What he loves, we love. Now, I've given you some points. I'm just about done here. But I'm going to finish up with these eight points. All right. Eight ways to love and deepen your relationship with your church, because I think it's important. Uh, now, before I do that very briefly, 
I got a preface to the eight points. <laughs> but this is important stuff. This is important stuff. And I, I'm not, I promise you, I'm not keeping you long. And I know some of you say it's not about how long it is. But, you know, listen, my boss, one time I had a boss that told me this. You know, we, we would have meetings. And, you know, the, the company I work for, they, they love to meet and just talk about it. It seems like I'm surprised we ever got anything done because we had so many meetings. You know, and he was telling me about the babe principle. He said, yeah, Michael, when you, have, when you get in my position and you start having meetings, remember the babe principle. You know, the, 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 the brain can only absorb what the backside can endure. <laughs> you know, so. All right, so I'm invoking the babe principle, so I'm hurrying up here. All right, so listen, here's some things I want to tell you about church before I just run through these eight. Before, before you put up number one, let me tell you these four things first. <laughs> number, listen to this. Listen, don't fall in love with your church because of what it does for you because sooner or later it's going to disappoint you okay and that's not a negative thing i'm just talking about we're we're just human being people okay and so don't fall and say i really go to that church because they of all the things they do for me don't let that be your overriding factor for attending that church because you'll you'll fall out of love with that church and attend another church and you're going to fall out of love and it's going to keep on going okay listen don't be sidetracked into loving the church because of a certain leader don't just say, you know, well, uh, listen, you know, I really love Pastor Phil, and he's the only reason, although he's a very, very good reason. Come on, amen, come on, amen. All right, but you wouldn't even be here if that was your only reason, right? All right, but, you, but we can't do that at a, at a church, right, because uh, that never, none of that would happen at this church, but at other churches, leaders fail, right? They fall, they do all kinds, they're human beings. I'm not giving them any excuses, I'm just telling you, you love Jesus, right? He's the overriding factor. Because you love him, you love others and you love the leaders, all right? Don't be narrowed into loving the church because of one program or activity. Well, this church really does this and they, they do stuff for my kids, which is, a, that's not a bad reason. All I'm saying is, don't let that be the only reason because if it is, when you get disappointed, you'll just leave. You'll try to find another church that does things for your kids. And then that church won't do it the right way. Come on, sooner or later, we're people. All right, don't focus only on friends uh, in the church because friends change and people move. All right, come on, you have to love the church because that's where God, the Bible says, Isaiah said this, you are the planting of the Lord. You have to love your church because this is where God planted you, right? Here's very briefly eight ways you can have a great relationship with your church. Great relationship to your church is built on time, words, and actions, okay? You have to give some time. You have to speak words of encouragement to one another. We have to communicate. I could, we could do a whole sermon on communicating, come on, and how we don't communicate. Come on, people, right? And it has to be backed up with actions. A great relationship to your church is deepened when you shoulder the responsibility. That means we have a part. We, I call it skin in the game, all right? You grab hold and you have, you have a part of it. Someone's hurting the church, it hurts me as well. Someone in the church is in hospital, in the hospital. I'm concerned about that because it's, it's my brother, it's my sister, right, that's going through that. Great relationship to your church is strengthened when you support your spiritual leaders. Because guess what? Your spiritual leaders need some support. They really do. Come on now. Great relationship to your church starts when you decide to become a problem solver. Boy, that's a big one. Come on, it's easy to see problems. I, I'm good at that. But, you know, it's a little more difficult to get in there and be a problem solver. A great relationship to your church is enhanced when you personally connect to the vision. 
When you say, look, I know the vision of this church is discipleship. I know the vision of this church is helping the community, whatever it may be, the missions around the world. I'm going to be involved in that. I have some ideas. You know, I pray about it. I pray for the leaders. I pray for the church. I pray for the things we do. Also, God's given me some ideas. I'm going to present that. I won't be offended if we don't do everything the exact way I want to do it. All right. But I'm going to jump in there and say, hey, you know, and sometimes we're scared of that because the pastor might say, that sounds like a great idea. Go for it. <laughs> do it. Right. And you're like, well, I didn't mean for me to do it. OK. A great relationship to your church improves with a transformed perspective about the church. So if we see it differently, it will improve. A great relationship to your church takes on a new meaning when you purposefully use your gifts. Right. Don't hide your gifts. All right. If you're a great singer, go see Sister Dietra. We can use great singers. We can use a drummer. If you're a great drummer, come on, somebody, because <laughs> that one keeps messing up and limiting us. We can only do so many songs. <laughs> All right. So but if you have a gift, come on. Uh, you know, there's ways to use it. God, your gift will make room for you and God will make the appropriate time for you to use your gift. A great relationship to your church is forfeited by intentional community. A great relationship to your church is forfeited by intentional community. You say, what the heck does that mean? Fortified. Commit to being in a small group. Come on, we got the roots group going, I think. Is it still going? All right, Sister Beatrice. All right, commit to being in a small group of people you can share your life with and you can give to. Come on. Large gatherings of our church services are great for worship and for teaching and vision, but by itself they are not enough. We must get together. We must fellowship together sometimes. Come on. Call each other on the phone. Go out to lunch, you know, after church sometimes uh, or meet for coffee. Do those types of things. How you doing? What's going on in your life? Let's talk one to another. We must do those things. So here's what it is. I'm talking about having a great relationship to your church. At the end of the day, and the bottom line is, here's what we have to understand. We're talking about having a great relationship to your church. I'm not just talking about to the building and to the programs when we talk about all these eight ways to have a great relationship and all those other points that we talked about, who we've forgotten by now because there's too many points. But what we have to understand and realize is the church is people. It really is. All right, we have a wonderful, beautiful building. I, this building is beautiful. I don't know about you, but I think it is. So, you know, I, and I've been to a lot of churches around the country and seen big, huge, mega churches. I think this is one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever been into, and it, and it really is. I think we just have, uh, you know, lovely uh, decor and everything. And, uh, but we have to know at the end of the day, if there's no people in this building, what good is the building? Right? And the presence of God is only in this building when the people come into, into the building, right? So it's all about people, and we need to understand that we need each other to survive.